Would you join me in a brief word of prayer? Father, would you now provide us what we so desperately need, your word? Would you open our ears, open our minds, and open our hearts that they might receive the implanted word, that it might bear fruit in us, that we might be made a little more like the Savior, Jesus. Help me to speak clearly in his name. Amen. It was April of 1999 when my life became a train wreck. So said Rosaria Butterfield. She was a professor at Syracuse University. She had uh, become the head of a very large women's studies program. She was an open practicing lesbian. She described herself as hating Christians until one day she became one of them. It was not a clean transition for her. She didn't just have a easy, neat conversion. It was messy, painful. And yet, little by little, she found herself irresistibly drawn to Jesus. She ended up leaving her relationship, same-sex relationship. She ended up joining a, a local church, a reformed Presbyterian church of all churches. And little by little, she became a follower of Jesus. How does something like that happen? How does somebody make the risky choice to follow Jesus and become a disciple, knowing full well it means living, leaving behind so much? Last week, we saw the invitation that Jesus gives us to both come and know him personally and to bring others along, to Go and bring people to Jesus to watch them transformed. This week, we're going to flip the script a little bit and look at the other side of the equation and ask, what is it that we will find if we come and see? What is it that they will find if we go and bring someone to Jesus? Before us in this passage in John 1, we'll see that Jesus is calling, calling us to a risky endeavor, to step out on a journey of faith. But at the end of that road is something worth risking for. We'll see well, the end of this journey is Jesus himself. We'll, we'll study this passage in three sections. First in verse 43, we'll see the, the invitation to the journey of faith. Then in verses 44 through 49, we'll see the struggle of the journey of faith. And then finally, in verses 50 through 51, we'll see the destination of the journey of faith. And all this, we'll see that Jesus himself is calling us to step out, to take the risk of following him on this journey of faith so we can find what we truly need, Jesus himself. Let's start in verse 43, the invitation to the journey of faith. We're now on day five of John's narrative that kicked off earlier in chapter 1. You remember, it all started with John the Baptist and his ministry preparing the way for Christ. John kicked off a chain reaction of people being referred to Jesus, introduced to him, who then in turn come and introduce others to Jesus, a, a chain reaction that's still going on to this very day. Well, now Jesus and his followers are in that early, exciting startup phase a day when the, every day is full of power and possibilities. Someone new's coming to Jesus, 
He's teaching something new we've never heard before, day after day. In fact, on day five, Jesus is about to uncork yet another new normal. Up till now, everyone that's come to Jesus has been referred to him. Someone's introduced people to Jesus. Now in verse 43, we see that Jesus is about to introduce himself to someone, someone named Philip. Verse 43 reads that the next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. There's intentionality with Jesus there. He decides he's going to go somewhere to Galilee. He's not just going for no reason. He has a meeting set up, whether this person he's meeting with knows it or not. He shows up in front of Philip and he tells him, follow me. I realize at that moment, what has occurred totally upends convention for how a rabbi acquires disciples. Back in Jesus' day, if you were a teacher, it would be common for you to have kind of like lackeys or hanger-ons that were learning from you. They would be your disciples. You would teach them, and they would come along with you. It was a sign that you were a good enough teacher to have men that would desire to be like you. But the way those men would attach themselves to you was that those men would come asking. They would see a teacher worth following and they would try and prove themselves to that teacher or beg or do whatever they had to to allow that teacher to let them join his group. Jesus, in this one statement here, upends convention, totally turns it on his head. This here is a rabbi calling someone to follow him instead of waiting for them to come and ask. You know how this works. Even a few generations ago, there was a very strong expectation when it came to romantic sort of relationships that the man was supposed to initiate them. The guy was supposed to work up the courage to ask the girl out on the first date, right? That's how that was thought to work. Uh, I had an amusing convention not working out uh, sort of uh, story with Precious and myself, how we got started dating. Um, I had decided I was going to ask her out, and uh, we had been chatting online. Uh, we knew each other through mutual friends and all that, but it reached the point where it was like, I, I knew that I wanted to ask her out, but I, I was old-fashioned. I wanted to do it in person, so I kept trying to find a spot where we would be in the same location where I could ask her out in person. Well, Apparently, I didn't work fast enough because while I was trying to line that up, she got, got it in her head, you know, it would be great if we could get together for coffee. And so she just, boom, asked me out. And I didn't know what to do with that. And uh, thankfully, I said yes. Uh, uh, at least I hope she would say thankfully at this point. <laughs> We're great. Everything's good. Don't worry. <laughs> but it, it, it was reversing convention, right? It, and, In Jesus' day, a rabbi waited for the disciple to come to him. And yet here's Jesus, right in front of Philip, laying before him the biggest choice he'll ever make. Will you leave everything behind and come follow me? Think for a moment what Philip was presented with. Think for a moment what must have been going through his head at that moment. Maybe he heard something about Jesus. Maybe he was a follower of John's. We don't know for sure. Certainly he knew he was a great teacher of some sort. 
Certainly he understood what Jesus was doing didn't fit within the box that he would be comfortable with. And yet, at its most fundamental, he was being asked, do I trust Jesus enough to get up and follow him? Jesus put before Philip a choice of faith. Will you go on the journey? Will you trust me enough to follow me wherever it is I might lead you? Philip didn't know everything at this moment. He had to take a step out, take a step of faith. Now, so often, that's the way God operates in our life. Behind every one of us that comes to Christ, surely it is that God has worked within us. God accomplishes salvation. And yet he accomplishes that salvation by asking us to trust him enough to take a step toward him. You might even say to go on a journey of faith. Rosaria Butterfield describes what it was like for her to begin to take a step toward Jesus. She wrote in her books, while I did make choices along the path of this journey, they never felt logical, risk-free, or sane. Heretical as it might seem, Christ and Christianity seemed eminently resistible. That's true for all of us that hear the invitation of Jesus to come and follow him. Will we respond in faith or will we stay where it's comfortable, living for ourselves? Maybe you're here this morning and you're not exactly sure why you're here. Someone invited you or you just wandered in or maybe you just thought you wanted a little religion today. Whatever the reason, I'm glad you're here. We want you to feel like you can come and Come and see for yourself what Jesus is all about. But I wonder if you've ever considered the fact that maybe you're not here by accident. Maybe the fact that you were presented with the Jesus as presented in the Bible and offered the chance to become a follower of his, maybe that wasn't just random chance. Maybe Jesus is personally seeking you out. Maybe he's calling you to take a step of faith. And follow him. It can be scary, especially when you have a lot of unanswered questions. Very scary. That's not an unusual thing when people are first checking out Jesus. As you come to realize everything he says about himself and what he says about you, it is a scary thing because you're admitting that someone else is in control. And yet, friend, you will never find true contentment and you will certainly not find peace with God unless you step toward Jesus and begin the journey of faith. For all of us here this morning who are Christians, let's also recognize that behind every invitation to come follow Jesus, no matter what way it came to us, stands Jesus himself. In a room this size, I'm sure we have come to faith through a myriad of different ways. Some of you heard it growing up from your parents. You went to vacation Bible school and Sunday school and church and you don't know a day where you were not presented with this choice to follow Jesus. Others of us heard it on the radio. Maybe you picked up a tract. Maybe it was a friend who took an interest in making sure you understood the claims of Christ. However it is that you understood that Jesus was calling you to follow him as a disciple. Friend, I want you to know this morning, Jesus personally saw to it that you heard that invitation. 
If you're a Christian, it's because Jesus wanted you to be. And that should fill you with joy, friends. It should fill you with joy that Jesus would go out of his way to seek and save the lost, even a sinner like you and me. The journey of faith isn't easy. It starts in a scary place of trusting Jesus, stepping out, following him on the journey. But that leads to a a really important next question because the journey of faith, even stepping out, if that's difficult, there's something even more difficult that comes next. And that's what we see in verses 45 through 49. The struggle of the journey of faith. You might say it's dealing with doubt. After Jesus called Philip to follow him, verse 44, it says, Now now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Sometimes people live with the assumption that the opposite of faith is doubt. That if you do not have firm conviction of truth in your heart, that if you have any reservations, any questions, that means that uh, you lack faith. Let me suggest, as Pastor Josh Moody articulated it, that the opposite of faith is not doubt, The opposite of faith is, in fact, apathy. The opposite of faith is, in fact, shrugging your shoulders and saying, what do I care? Because the mere fact that you might wrestle with questions or doubt shows at some level you understand the question itself is significant. You can't even begin to have doubt until you have at least a base layer of belief. What we have before us is an incredible example of how doubt itself is not the enemy. How doubt, when it is properly pressed through, actually leads to a deep sort of faith. Well, Philip, from what we know of him, is not the most gifted or brightest of the disciples. Uh, He will later be the one with the feeding of the 5,000 who has doubts of his own. Jesus, where in the world can we find that much food? There's not enough. That'd be like a year's worth of salary to be able to buy that much food for these people. How are we going to feed them? Philip seems like he's a simple sort of man. He's from Bethsaida, a place called Fishtown, not exactly known for its scholars. Philip seems to have an almost clumsy way about him as you read his narrative, this narrative. And, and yet, just like Andrew before him, Philip, he is so overwhelmed by Jesus that he can't help but talk about him. It says that Philip went and he found his friend named Nathaniel. And Philip just kind of blurts out, Nathaniel, we found him, we found him. He he describes him. He says, we found the one that Moses and the prophets spoke about. Now, that that covers a lot of ground. It's probably a shorthand way of saying the whole Old Testament, the whole first two-thirds of your Bible. I think the verse that he probably has most in mind is Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. It should be up on the screen behind me. There, Moses was 
told, the, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. That God would raise up a great prophet, a, a great chosen one that would come and lead his people, lead them out of slavery, lead them out of oppression, but most of all, lead them into God's way for them to go forward. He comes to Nathaniel and he blurts all this out and he just adds on, oh yeah, by the way, he's Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Well, Nathaniel understandably has a few questions about this because the, the way that's presented doesn't exactly present the most compelling of cases. He says, can anything good come from Nazareth? I have to understand a little bit about how they thought of Nazareth back in the day. Nazareth was a small town off the beaten path. It, it was not anywhere that had a great prophecy about it. There was no one waiting to find the, the great prophet or king coming from Nazareth. It'd be a bit like saying, hey, I, I found the guy that's going to be the next president of the United States. I found him. Well, where did you find him? Well, he is from Napoleon, Indiana. If you've never heard of Napoleon, Indiana, don't worry, neither had I. Um, it is a population of 222 people. Now, people in Napoleon might be wonderful, but I don't think any one of us is waiting with bated breath for the next big revolution to come from someone from Napoleon, right? It's just somewhere you don't think about. Well, that was Nazareth. Nazareth had no prestige to it. it. It certainly wasn't a hub of political power. Nazareth was not prophesied about in the Old Testament. How is it that someone from Nazareth could be the one that we are looking for? Nathaniel's questions are justifiable. They're good questions to ask. And I think it's telling that Nathaniel is not rebuked for having questions. In fact, Philip shows a great deal of wisdom here. He probably didn't have a good answer for his questions. And so instead, he just tells him, you know what? Come and see. Come and see. Come and see for yourself about this man I'm telling you about. Well, thankfully, Nathaniel takes him up on the offer. And he comes and meets Jesus for himself. I don't know if you've noticed this, but very often people need time and space to ask questions, to really chew on the deep questions of life before they come to faith in Christ. I had the privilege of getting to meet a man who was a retired doctor. Uh, he had lots of Christian witness in his life. His uh, his son was a pastor that I knew. Um, his wife had been a believer the whole time they were married. And yet he himself uh, styled himself as a, an unbeliever of sorts. He had lots and lots of deep questions. His son connected us together and said, hey, you know, maybe you can get together with my dad and maybe the Lord might use you to clear up some of these questions so he could come to Christ. He was a very, very smart man. He was sincere in what he was asking. He, he didn't understand how parts of the scripture fit together. He didn't understand some of the hardest questions people ask Christians. Things about the Trinity. 
Things about suffering and how God can be good in light of all the evil in the world. For about six months, he and I met together regularly and dove into the scriptures. We reasoned together. We talked. And at the end of it, I I hadn't convinced him, but at the very least, I'd helped him to wrestle through some of these doubts he had. Now, turned out someone else would lead him to Christ years later. But you know the amazing thing is all that time I had spent with him, all the helping him to press through these doubts, when he got to the other side, the result was an incredibly deep faith. When we take the time to help people press through doubt, we set them up to have a deep sort of faith. One that can stand the test of time because it's one they have found to be true as they tested it and come have seen for themselves. Jesus is not afraid of questions, and neither should we be. Nathaniel meets Jesus, and it's only once he meets Jesus that his doubts are relieved, and he's able to break forth in faith. In verse 47, we're told, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, and he said of him, Behold! An Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. How do you like that to be the way someone greets you the first time you meet them? Before he even gets close enough to shake his hand, Jesus makes a declaration about this guy. Nathaniel doesn't know what to do with it. Look with me in verse 48. Nathaniel said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus, very kindly, as soon as he meets Nathaniel, shows not just that he knows who he is, he shows he knows who he is deep down. Jesus sees right to his heart. Nathaniel doesn't understand how it is that anyone could know who he is without meeting him, much less to know enough about him to be able to declare him someone without guile. The way that's written, I think he's pushing us back to Genesis and the story of Jacob, who would one day become Israel. You remember Jacob, right? One of the great fathers of the Jewish people. Jacob the trickster. He was the one that tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright. He always had an angle on everything. He would have made a a great grifter or a a great scammer if he had put himself to it. Jacob, who weaseled his way out of every consequence in life imaginable until something amazing happened. He had an encounter with God. And God transformed him. In fact, he gave him a new name. His name is now Israel. I think Jesus intends for us to see here an Israelite with no guile, you might say, an Israel with no Jacob in him. He sees a man that's utterly sincere, sincere enough to even be open about his questions. And yet what he says to him next reveals that he sees even deeper than that. Tells him that when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, there is a whole host of interpretive questions to be answered there. Some people have thought that under the fig tree is a way of describing his alone time, that 
Jesus saw him when no one else did doing something sinful and out of some sort of conviction in his heart, he responds in faith to Jesus. Others think the fig tree is a, an emblem for your quiet time, your, your, you could say your alone time with God and Jesus knows something that no one but God could know. I think what Jesus has in mind comes from a few spots in the prophets. Uh, Micah 4.4 4 would be enough to show you what, where I think it's coming from. It reads, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. And this and a couple other references in the prophets, they look forward to the day when God's reign over his people is so total that they will truly have peace. Sitting under the fig tree is an emblem, a symbol saying, you have true peace with God. For Jesus to tell Nathaniel, I saw you when you were under the fig tree, was to say, I know, saw you in your moment of greatest peace. I saw you inside your home. I saw you where no one else could see you. Nathaniel understands that this is not something any mere teacher could tell him. This is the mark of God's Messiah. In verse 48, he said to them, I'm sorry, verse 49, Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Both of those are tapping into the expectation of the day of what God's Messiah would be. He would be the ruler over God's people. He would be uniquely God's son, the, the one that would inherit all of God's blessings. Nathanael, for whatever he understood at that moment, understood Jesus was the one he had been waiting for. It's so, so helpful to watch the way Jesus helps Nathanael to press through doubt into a deep faith. The implications for this as a church shouldn't be lost on us. We ought to be a place where people can come and ask questions and not just get bumper sticker answers where people can really wrestle through what God's word says about Jesus and about themselves and not feel like we're just trying to dunk on them. That we're actually trying to help them into a deep faith. I would hope that if someone were to walk up to you, any one of you, and to have sincere questions about God or the Bible, that you, you wouldn't just try to push them off with a trite, easy answer that you would really want to listen to them, that you would really want to help them to understand how God word, God's word speaks to that area of their heart and mind, that you would let the scriptures themselves convince them. If Jesus isn't afraid for someone to come to him with doubts, we should not be afraid for people to come, with us, to, come to us with their doubts. We need to be a church that's not afraid to answer tough questions. That's true for people that are coming in off the street that certainly are not Christians. And that's true for our students, our junior high and high schoolers, even in children's ministry. We shouldn't squash questions that they have. It's all right for us to admit we don't know the answer to something and to take the time to actually delve into God's word and see what he has to say on the matter. Yet as I say all of that, I also know we need to be reminded that doubt is not a virtue. 
that it can be tempting, especially for the younger generation, to view doubt as a virtue, as something good in and of itself. To, to say that I don't hold to dogma or faith, that, that it's all just, you know, something we can't be sure about. It sounds awfully humble. And yet if you sit down in doubt, if you try and live there, it's impossible to follow Jesus. See, doubt isn't the destination. Doubt's to be pressed through to bring you to a deep faith. If you're here this morning and you have been sitting in doubt for too long, this is a call here. Jesus isn't just calling you to ask endless questions. He wants you to arrive somewhere, to arrive at the end of the journey, to meet Jesus himself. That's what brings us to our third and final section this morning, the destination of the journey of faith. Verses 50 through 51. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. The way Jesus said that, he has shifted from speaking directly to Nathanael to speaking to a wider audience. He's speaking in a plural form. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is true of anyone that would come after me. You will see greater things than speaking the truth of someone's heart. You will see greater things than these. What is it we'll see? Verse 51, and he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Here Jesus very explicitly goes back again to Jacob's life. Genesis 28. At this point, Jacob has just cheated Esau out of his birthright and his dad is smart enough to know he better get out of Dodge. So he sends him away to go find a wife more to just get him away from Esau and out of harm's way. Along the way, Jacob has an encounter with God. He settles down for the night, and in a vision, he sees heaven opened. Coming down from heaven, he sees a ladder, probably something like a, a stepped pyramid, a ziggurat, going up from earth to heaven. And going up and down that ladder are these angelic beings, heaven's highway, traffic going back and forth. And then it says at the top of the ladder, or I think is a better translation, on the side of the ladder standing on earth, he saw God. And this is what he said in Genesis 28, 16 and 17. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jesus takes us all the way back to Genesis 28, to that vision of the ladder going up to heaven. And he says, what Jacob saw is what you will see. That ladder to heaven, that gateway to heaven, it was never some sort of structure. It was a person. It was always Jesus himself. Jesus himself becomes the place where heaven and earth meet. 
Jesus himself becomes the place where God's presence is found. Jesus himself becomes the place where God's glory and power are unleashed on this earth. Jesus says, Nathaniel, you think you've seen something. You have not seen anything yet because you're about to meet the one whom this whole thing's about. You're about to meet God's king, Jesus himself. Now, Nathaniel and the disciples, they would not see that glory until the cross because it's at the cross of Jesus where we see this king truly seated on his throne. At the cross of Jesus, we see how heaven and earth can meet, how one who came up from heaven down to this earth can reconcile heaven and earth together by paying for the penalty of sins in his blood. At the cross of Jesus, we see how God's presence can actually be open to us How sinners who were rebels before God, who deserving of his wrath, instead could be brought close. We could truly say God is in this place. At the cross of Jesus is where we see God's power on display. Not just the power of angels ascending and descending, but the power of God to transform hearts, to make us new from the inside out, to remake this world, Till one day, every single tribe and tongue and nation declares that Jesus is Lord. Nathaniel, on that day, got a preview of what all the disciples and all of us who come afterward now know. That Jesus is the end of the journey of faith. Jesus is the reason why it's worth risking leaving behind your old life. Because Jesus himself is God revealing himself to us. Friend, if you're here this morning and you get the sense that you want a relationship with God, you need to hear there's only one way that happens. It's if you risk faith and you step toward Jesus and you come to know him as your Lord and Savior. You don't need to know the answer to every question there is certainly room for you to ask them but friend if you never step toward Jesus you will never know God in this way for all of us as Christians here this morning we need to remember what it is we have arrived at where the journey of faith has brought us and will continue to bring us into God's very presence it may be you've had a hard week Maybe at work you fell flat on your face. Maybe in your marriage you spoke out of turn or did something hurtful. It may be that you are wrestling through serious doubts in your own heart. Friend, would you look down the road? Would you look to where your faith is carrying you? Would you look to the Jesus that brings heaven and earth together? And would you find your heart strengthened by that reality? Rosaria Butterfield was one who decided to risk faith. It was not a quick journey for her. In her case, she had lots and lots of questions to work through. It was by God's grace that the first person to really start to dig into her heart was a pastor, A pastor asked her really, really good questions. 
Really, though, she didn't start making bold steps towards Christ until she was around other believers. She got involved at that pastor's church. She describes how the people in that church gave her space to ask questions, faithfully prayed for her, and again and again pointed her back to the scriptures that would show her what it meant to follow Jesus on the journey of faith. All that led up to one night, one night when a practicing lesbian professor would let go of her old life and take Jesus up on the invitation to follow him. She said, on that night I prayed and asked God if the gospel message was for someone like me too. I viscerally felt the living presence of God as I prayed. Jesus seemed present and alive. I knew that I was not alone in that room. Friends, do you realize who it is that's invited you today? It's not a friend. It's not a family member. It's not some newsletter the church sent out. If you're here this morning, it's because Jesus invited you. He wants you to go on the journey of faith. He wants you to trust him and take a step toward him because he knows where you need to end up. He is what you seek. Would you come and find him? Let's pray.